morning journey. See, if I pause, then you guys know I kind of want you to respond. Um, my name is Mark. It's so good to be here with you. Um, my heart is in this, but if I fall over because I'm tired, you should know why. Uh, our middle school team on Friday night had a lock-in, and that's a fancy, cool way to say we had 40 middle school students. We locked the doors, and we partied the entire night, and our team of leaders had to stay up the entire night. So we made it. Uh, the team survived, and I think all of the students survived too. Um, don't tell the parents that. But we should get started right away. I think I went a little long last time. There's a lot to cover this morning, and I'm really excited uh, for today with you. We're in a series called The Kingdom of God is Like, where we are exploring what it, the, what it is that the Bible has to say about the kingdom of God. And as it turns out, Jesus in the Bible has a lot to say about the kingdom of God, uh, whether it's in conversations with uh, his disciples, with the crowds, or in parables, we are seeing that Jesus is seemingly obsessed with this kingdom of God and the reality that it has come now and it is here. Chris, about six weeks ago during the first message in the series, very succinctly said that as we explore this series, we are not just talking about what heaven is like up there, but rather, and I quote, we are talking about the realm in which God occupies, has occupied, and will always occupy, and the mystery that the kingdom of God is already but not yet. So there you have it. There's some theology for you to chew on this morning, to sit with. Um, although my guess is this morning, if you're anything like me, you won't uh, have too much time to sit with that because this morning will probably capture your heart. It sure has mine in a good way, but in a difficult way too. Why? Today we're talking about a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom. It's a parable about how the kingdom of God is full of forgiveness. Today's sermon is called, The Kingdom of God is Like forgiven people, forgiving people. It's not a secret in a single word. We're gonna talk about forgiveness this morning. And my guess is uh, that as we do, questions will come up. Questions like, how do we actually do that? How do we live that out? How do we live as people in this kingdom? And so before we get started, because we're talking about forgiveness, um, my guess is that uh, hurts and pains will come up or will linger in the back of our heads and our hearts. And so I just wanna give us some encouragement this morning. The first is, as we read and talk about this parable, would you allow it to challenge you? Would you allow this parable, the story that Jesus tells, to challenge you, to offend you, to cause you to think, to wander, and to question? Would you allow that to happen? Um, second thing is, as all of that's happening, uh, would you trust Jesus through it? And my final thing, I would just invite you to uh, ask God to speak to God this morning as you're sitting there and just ask God, what is it that you want me to hear? What is it that you personally want me to hear? I'm listening. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him 
And he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Please be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. His creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother's or your sisters from your heart. Let's pray. God, uh, we come to you, um, and we just wanna say a couple things up front as, as a church family. God, we love you, and we worship you. God, I would selfishly pray um, that you would quiet our hearts, that we would show up exactly who we are, God, but that we would just be listening for what you have to say for us uh, this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would just cast out fear in our heads or in our hearts uh, with the things that we're carrying. We want to hear from you, God. We love you so much, and we are thankful that you love us first. Amen. So this is the parable that Jesus tells in response to Peter asking this question, how much should we forgive? And this parable falls in a unique place at the end of chapter Uh, 18 in Matthew, Matthew 18. This falls at the end of it. So what happens at the beginning and the middle of Matthew 18? Well, at the beginning, we we see the disciples asking a question that I anticipate many of us have asked as we have gone through this series, which is, okay, this kingdom sounds cool, different, it's weird, but Jesus, how do we be the greatest in this kingdom? How do we be the greatest? And Jesus responds by giving a visual parable. He brings a little child and he puts it in the middle of all of the disciples. And he says, be like this, be like this. And so we have to wrestle as we hear that visual parable. We don't get to see it. What does it mean to be humble like a child? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again and be a new human in this new kingdom? We have to wrestle with that. And as Jesus continues on, he warns us that in this journey of becoming a new human and entering into this new kingdom, we're gonna hurt each other. In fact, in the middle of Matthew 18, he gives us really practical tools, uh, not if we hurt each other, but when we hurt each other. And he says that if someone's wronged you, if someone's sinned against you, what should you do? You should go to them privately. You should go to them privately. You should tell them of the offense, of how they've wronged you, how they've hurt you, the damage that they've done. Notice how this isn't often what we do. We go to everybody but that person. Jesus says, go to them. If they listen to you, great. If they do the hard work, if they own it, if they apologize, if they do that that hard work of uh, confession and repentance, great. The, The relationship can be restored, there can be reconciliation, there can be shalom again, great. You've won them over, Jesus says. But if they don't acknowledge the wrong and the hurt, what do you do? Jesus says, go to your community, bring one or two more who are both mutually invested in both people. Now you have kind of a mediator, a third party, neutral ground. And if they still don't acknowledge 
the damage they've done, you do it again. You grab more from the community. And if by the time the majority of the community is there and they haven't acknowledged the pain, the damage, the sin, what do you do? And Jesus says, you put a healthy boundary with you and that person. You put distance between them, actually. What if they do own it? They do say they're sorry, but then they do something else to hurt you. Or they do it again and again and again. And now we land at Peter's question, like for real, Jesus, how many times do we have to put up with other people hurting us? How many times, Jesus, do I have to put up with someone hurting me? And just based off of this parable alone, do we think that forgiveness is important to Jesus? Yeah. Like at, at the most basic foundational level, I think we can conclude that surely Jesus really cares about those who follow him and their ability to forgive others. In fact, this, this teaching of Jesus on forgiveness seems quite central to his teachings. Can you think of another time in the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus that he has talked about forgiveness? Can you think of another time? And maybe some of us are like, oh, the Lord's Prayer, that time that the disciples asked Jesus, and they knew how to pray. They grew up praying. They go to Jesus and they say, how do you pray? We wanna learn from you. And he says, this is how you should pray daily. And it's like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So clearly, if Jesus is telling his disciples to do this daily, it's important to him, right? And now in Matthew 18, as Jesus is heading on the road to Jerusalem to go and be killed, we find him again talking about forgiveness and somehow how forgiveness is tied to the kingdom of heaven and to the kingdom of God. And it raises this really important question, which I hope you've been asking as you've been listening. What actually is forgiveness? What is it that Jesus is asking those of us who are following him to do? Forgiveness, what does that word mean? It's actually quite interesting. We have this English word forgive, and then in the Bible, in the Greek, we have this word afieme, afieme. Its most basic meaning is to release or to let go. So in English, if we're holding onto something, my water bottle, this rock, and I drop it, I've afia made my water bottle. I've let go of this item. If we decide to go on a crazy hike to Sacagawea at two in the morning, like our high schoolers are gonna do, and I let go of my backpack when I get to the top, I have afia made the backpack. But what about when it comes to relational conflict? It's different. If we have a broken relationship because I've said something stupid to you and I've hurt you, and you choose to overlook that hurt, we would in English use the word forgive. Not so in the language of the Bible. It's the same word, to let go of the rock, to let go of the water bottle, to release the backpack. It's all the same word, afieme. Now think about that for a second. What does that mean? In the Lord's Prayer, or this parable that we're gonna dive into, Jesus is asking us to release something or to let go. But what are we letting go of? If it's the rock, if I afieme the rock, I let go of the rock. If I afieme the backpack, I let go of the backpack. I release the backpack. If I afieme you because you've hurt me, 
what am I letting go of exactly? What have I released? And it's here that the language that Jesus uses is actually the same that we use today. It's a language to describe relationships about finances, uh, money, language of debt. So here's a small illustration. I like this one because you get to join me in my car, my Honda Accord. You're, you're there in my passenger seat. And we are driving. If you're with me and it's the last month or so, guess where we're going? We are going to get ice cream at Genuine Ice Cream downtown. So we got to go through Main Street. True story, I have gotten into an accident mainstream and in this little illustration, you and I are driving and someone just comes around the corner and they nick the back left part of my car and we have to pull over and we're anxious and stressed, all of the normal things that come with a car accident. No one's hurt, we've, we've established that and we get out of the car and the person who hit me, they say, oh man, I'm so sorry, Mark, I, I hit your car, no problem and they get in their car to drive away. No, like huge problem, you've hit my car, you've dented the back left part of my car, it's probably at least three or $400, don't ask me why a dent costs that much, I don't know. And we would say, because of the damage you've done, you quite literally what me, you owe me, you're in debt to me. You have to pay that two or $300 dent or you need to have your insurance fix this. And so the, the language we use to describe relationships, whether it's forgiveness or brokenness or re, this word revenge, it's all the same. We still use it, it's the same in the Bible. So to forgive, to afiame, is to let go of the debt that someone owes you. Because if someone hits your car or they break some sort of uh, relationship they have with you, they owe you. And there's really only two ways that you can fix this, that you can pay this. That person can pay me that two or $300 and that would be fair. We call that justice. They've paid what they've owed. Their debt is paid. Or I could pay. I could absorb what that person owes me and I could release it or let it go. Now, when you put it in terms of a car or more expensive things, just very objectively, forgiveness kind of sounds like a lame idea. And by lame, I mean none of us would want to do that. Am I crazy? Like, would anybody say, I would do that. I would for sure just let that person drive off. Like, that's not natural for us. Very unnatural for us. And so why do we care to learn how to forgive others? Why do we care to practice forgiving others? Can you think of a time in Jesus' life when he was being wronged or hurt, and yet he walked the walk, he did what he was teaching and he did this very unnatural thing of forgiving others. Can you think of that time? Can you think of a time? This is what strikes at the heart of the parable. I wanna take us to a little visual parable of my own. Let's look at a wooden plaque. The plaque reads, the King of the Jews. It's this plaque that's hanging over Jesus as he hangs on the cross. That's the King of this kingdom. He's dying just like he predicted. And the entire thing's a sham. The accusations, the court trial, the murder of Jesus, it's a sham. And what is it that Jesus says in that moment, the moment where he's being nailed to a Roman execution device? What does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. What? What is, what is Jesus doing? What did Jesus believed he was doing. He believed that he was absorbing all of the hurt and wrong of all of humanity and that he was going to release it. 
that he was absorbing all the dents that we've caused to each other into God's good world. Or at least he was asking God to do that. He's releasing the debt. And this is the core of this entire series and especially today. To understand the kingdom of God, we must understand the king, God. So at the heart of this parable, as a follower of Jesus, I look at the moment of the cross and I see Jesus hanging there and I see him taking, absorbing all of the damage that I've done to you and to others and to this world, the the dents, the hurts, the wrongs. And he's absorbing that and releasing that. He's forgiving it. But Jesus isn't just paying my sins, right? Because we've all contributed. We've all contributed to why the world is the way it is and we can all agree that surely the world is not as it should be. It doesn't take a lot of convincing to look around, to look at the world, to look at the news, to talk to each other and realize things aren't as they should be. And Jesus is absorbing all of that. Look at what we've done to God's beautiful and good world. Look at what we've done to each other. Look at what we do to each other. Jesus is dealing with the hurt and the damage of the entire world, which means he's not just paying for my debt, but also the debt of the person who's wronged me and dented my car or dented my heart. Wait a minute, what if I don't want that person's debt to be released? I don't want their debt forgiven because that's really inconvenient for me because they no longer owe me anymore. That's hard, holy cow, that's, that's really hard. You, you see what I'm saying? As, as a follower of Jesus, the cross, this act of love puts us in quite the dilemma because I'm glad that Jesus has forgiven my sins and released my debt, but I'm not so sure I want that for the person who owes me. I wanna hold on to my forgiveness, but I wanna deny someone else's. And that's the dilemma that we are in as followers of Jesus. We cannot consume forgiveness of the cross. Rather, we must participate in it. And so our invitation to participate in and with the kingdom of God is a little something like this. Then Peter came to Jesus, and maybe we too, carrying the hurts and the wrongs, ask, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. And so Peter asks this question, and he says, how often should I release the debt of someone who's hurt me? Jesus, how many times? And he thinks he's pretty good. He looks around at the people in his town. He looks at the rest of the disciples. He's like, it's common practice for others to forgive three times. So you know what I'll do? I'll forgive twice that plus one, seven times, that must be enough. And Jesus' response is no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, or maybe your translation reads 77 times. I don't think Jesus is concerned with the math. I think he's concerned with the magnitude. He continues and he goes, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Pause. Because I think we can actually all agree, hey, that's a lot of money, but we can wrap our minds around that a little bit, right? Millions, we can wrap our minds around that. And, and Jesus here, funny enough, he's actually trying to get you to laugh. He's trying to get the disciples to laugh telling this parable. If we find a certain translation or we look at the back of our Bibles, we'll see that this is actually 10,000 talents. It's a measure of gold. 10,000 talents turns out to be 204 metric tons of gold, silver, or copper, depending. And a single talent would have been 6,000 denarii. So you do the math, the, the servant owes 
60 million denarii. And at the rate of making one denarii a day, that laborer would owe, it would take them 164,000 years to pay the debt. This is a debt that's like between nations. So Jesus is like, this is how much this person owes. And the disciples are like, whew, stinks for him. Like there's no way he's paying that debt. There's no way. We all know that. It's way too much. And so in verse 25, we read, he couldn't pay. Oh yeah, you think. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. That's weird to us, but it's a cultural thing where you would owe debt if you couldn't pay it. You'd live on the estate and you'd work off the debt. So in verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Right, you'll pay all of it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Some translations read, then his master was filled with compassion for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Please be patient with me and I will pay. Almost the same words that he used. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Because if you want to get paid back, the best place for someone to pay you back is to work in prison, right? When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, as any of us would be too. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, some observations. I wanna highlight a couple things. Two about unforgiveness, one about forgiveness. To recap that story, what happens This guy owes an insurmountable amount of money to a king. You can't pay it. But he begs him, please, give me more time. I'll pay all of it, sure. And the king does what? He has compassion on him. And he releases him of all the debt. And then that servant goes to a fellow servant who owes him a few thousand dollars. Can you pay that? Yeah, he could have paid that. But he grabs him by the neck. That's the first thing he does. Jesus is careful to paint this picture He grabs him by the neck and has him thrown in jail to be tortured. If you put someone in prison, I I alluded to this, what can't they do? They can't work. If someone can't work, how on earth are they gonna pay you back? So what is Jesus saying here? When we refuse to forgive someone, we actually put them in an impossible situation to pay us back. Think about that. It's not actually about their debt anymore, is it? We don't really want them to pay us back. We don't really want them to own it and to say, sorry, we just want them to hurt. It's no longer about justice. We want vengeance. And so what happens? Every, all these other servants, they hear of what just happened and they tell the king. The king reports and has the man come back, scolds him, sends him to jail to be what? Tortured. And part of understanding what Jesus has to say about forgiveness is at the end of this parable. And it might've bothered you. Jesus depicts someone who can't forgive 
as though they're in jail being tortured. This is the metaphor Jesus uses to describe what unforgiveness does to us as humans. It's like we're in jail being tortured. What does that, what does that mean in real life? You know when someone hurts you, like, like really hurts you? Maybe a family member at Thanksgiving, they embarrass you in front of the whole family. Maybe it's a, a joke that your friend made and they just took it too far. Maybe it's someone at your work teasing you, making fun of you. What do we often do? Kind of ignore it, maybe slide it under the rug. We try to forget about it, just go back to eating, to hanging out, maybe just go back to trying to do our job. And then we go home, we're laying in bed and we remember that pain, that feeling that it caused, how the relationship broke. We remember what it is exactly that they owe us because they took something good from us. And you start replaying the memory in your head, except this time at Thanksgiving when the uncle makes that joke in your head, the memory goes, you, you get to swing back over the table and hit them, right? Or your coworker says something and you have this eloquent speech that just makes them look so silly. And you play that movie over and over. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this movie plays over and over again. And we, we think someone lies to us and it gets worse because they're not just, they've done this to us, they are a liar. And so we make them less human. We make them less human because we want them to hurt because they've hurt us. And we hold on to this pain and Jesus says it's like torture. And at the very end of this parable, what happens? What does Jesus say in verse 35? He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from where? from your heart. Now, what, what does that mean? There's no word for brain in the Bible. So a cool study, you can look at the word heart in the Bible and see what its context is. Sometimes it will function as a feeling and emotions and other times it will function as our intellect or our will. And so what exactly is forgiveness from the heart? It's not just feelings, it's a choice. We have to exercise our will to forgive. Now, I wanna be really clear on what forgiveness is not. Um, because I think we can read this verse. I think in the Christian world that we live, we can hear forgiveness and we can misuse it, misapply it, and even abuse it. So in Matthew 18, forgiveness is not ignoring, forgetting, condoning, or excusing. How many of you have heard the phrase forgive and forget? Couple. Terrible, terrible, terrible advice. When we forget the wrong that someone's done to us, what are we doing? We're minimizing it. What does Jesus say to do when someone hurts you? Does he say to, to forget about it, to minimize it, to go away from it? Actually, in the middle of Matthew 18, he says to lean into the hurt. That's what Jesus says to do, to go to them privately. And now another misconception Forgiveness is not, in Matthew 18, tolerating or allowing further abuse. Let me be really clear about this one too. How many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? No, 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 no. 70 times, seven, so many times. Just take it, just take the abuse. Go back to the paragraph just before he gave this teaching. When someone sins against you, when someone wrongs you, what do you do? You go to them privately. They don't acknowledge it. What do you do then? Two from the community, still doesn't acknowledge if you grab more from the community. Now notice in that, are you ever alone with that person again if they don't acknowledge it? No. 
And if they don't acknowledge it the whole time, what does Jesus say to do? You put a healthy boundary there. You put distance there. And you're like, well, how, how do I have a boundary there and distance there and then also forgive? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Apparently not. Apparently you can forgive and also have a boundary or distance if needed. Last thing, forgiveness in Matthew 18 is not reconciliation or restoration. This is a big one. If someone wrongs you and like really wrongs you, they hurt you, what does it mean for that person to reconcile with you? What work did they have to do? They have to own it. They have to find a ways in which uh, they've hurt you. And then they have to say they're sorry. They have to recognize it, right? That's a lot of work. It's <laughs> a lot of work. I know those are short words, but that's a lot of work. How many of you have been on the receiving end of that? You've been in a conversation where someone said, you said this, you did this, and it made me feel this way. That's not a fun conversation to be in. It actually requires a lot of work. And I don't know about you, but when I am in that conversation, I usually get defensive right away. Why? Because it's really hard. It's really hard work. And if they don't, if they don't wanna do that hard work, this is where the misconception lies. Can I forgive someone if they don't wanna do that work? Reconciliation is a two-way street. I humbly come to forgive and this person humbly comes and owns it. And it takes time and trust can be rebuilt. What about forgiveness? Is forgiveness a two-way street? No, it's a one-way street. It's a choice. And there are times when we are called to forgive regardless of the other person's response. So I just told you what forgiveness isn't. What is forgiveness then, Mark? Uh, and what is this teaching of Jesus all about then? At the very least, at the core of this parable, it's about a deep change in our hearts. One that requires us to look at Jesus and recognize that my debt has been paid and released. Why? Out of love. But also the debt has been paid and released of my neighbor and of the person who's hurt me. And that in fact, we are called to participate in this. That is what the kingdom is like. Whew, how you doing? <laughs> um, I'd like to give a little bit of space for quiet. I'll pray over top of us, but I'd like to give um, a chance for God just to speak to you. Dear Lord Jesus, um, we're thankful for this time that we can be together. We're thankful uh, for who you are um, and how much you love us. God, I wanna pray for all of us here in this room. Uh, you know exactly the hurts and the damage and the dents that we have in our hearts and that we carry. Um, you know them all. And you know the ways that we've hurt and dented and damaged other people. You know it all. God, I would just ask that you would speak to each one of us. What's that next thing? What's the next step that you want us to take and that we would hear your voice and we would respond and that you would lead us from there. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you love us. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.